podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, our guest is Patrick Snyder, executive director of Biz Starts right here in Milwaukee. Patrick, wonderful to have you, my brother. Oh, it's great to be with you, Paul, and appreciate the good work you do in the community. Well, that's very nice of you to say. That was the best five bucks I ever spent right there. (laughs) I was looking forward to this call for a while, Patrick. It's been wonderful to get to know you over the past couple years. You've been a blessing to me, and I know our audience is very interested to hear what you have to say. So if you don't mind, maybe to get us started here, how did you wind up as the executive director of BizStarts? So basically, BizStarts is in, involved in entrepreneurship education. And I was on the board of BizStarts as I ran a group called the United States Association for Small Business and Entrepreneurship. The United States Association for Small Business and Entrepreneurship, or USASBI, is the largest organization in the world for PhD-level faculty that teach entrepreneurship. So when they started talking about really getting involved in entrepreneurship and underserved area, meaning people firing their bosses and creating jobs for themselves, I wanted to be the guy that was going to educate them. Where did this love of entrepreneurship come from? So my mom came over from Italy when she was 14 years old. She didn't speak the language, but she had a a singular passion, and that was beautifying others. So she was a hairdresser. So long story short is she went around applying for jobs and I followed her around as a little kid and people would make fun of her accent. And they said, you can do a job with us, but it's 265 an hour sweeping a floor. And my mom decided that she did not want to have a person involved in making her history, that she would make her own history. So long story short is she found a retirement center that And at that time, they didn't have beauty shops in them. And she offered the owner of the building, a guy named Jay Lukowitz, and I still know his name because he's also a mentor to me today and an entrepreneur in assisted living. And he said, if you build it out, it'll be a value add for my customers. So that'll be your business inside my place. Well, over the next 10 years, he built six more nursing homes. So... Basically, she had a shop in every single one of those homes and would go in and do 50 to 100 people a day, hiring the part-time moms in the neighborhood. And in 1973, she could have either made 265 an hour or $1,000 a day, which is what she was doing. And I decided to go to college, even though she thought that was stupid, that I was wasting my money because she could teach me everything I needed to know. And when I started my magazine, and that was my passion, you know, I wanted to spread good news around the community. She said, don't ask me for any money. It's an eat what you kill world, not eat what mom kills. Don't try to borrow any money from my friends. Do it on your own. And I think that the spirit of entrepreneurship is just that, that you wake up in the morning for a, with a passion for something. And it's not a want to do that morning. It's a have to. You get up saying, I have to do this. And you have to do it right because if you're truly beautifying people or you're truly wanting to spread good news throughout the community with your good news magazine or you want to create beauty in people's homes with a flower shop, you wake up in the morning and it's a happy. 
Yeah, very well said. And it certainly seems like mom was a very special person, a wonderful influence in your life. And we're all benefiting from her influence in your life based upon what you're doing and the lives that you're touching today. And if you can, Patrick, walk us through a little bit about your career up to this point, because obviously mom's influence had a lasting impression on you. You've already referenced some of these, and I certainly don't want to steal your thunder, but you already talked about Shoreline Magazine. I know you did wonders with the Illinois Travel and Tourism Association. Sounds like you've also had some, did some really exciting work with Steve Kaplan. Could you fill in some of the blanks there? Because you've led a very exciting life up to this point. Well, it, it was really a natural progression in terms of going through the career. It, when I first got out of college, I thought that because I love people, I wanted to work in the hotel industry. And I got very lucky in that in college, I worked at a place called the Mattoon Country Club, and the governor of the state of Illinois was a member of the club. So Jim Edgar, you know, leaving that club, he had asked me, what are you doing after college? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe run a tourism organization or something like that. But I couldn't get there in a hurry. So I started with a hotel. And another kind of funny thing is that the first hotel I worked at was a Hyatt and J.B. Pritzker happened to be my general manager, which was kind of another stroke of luck. So I'll fast forward the process as I was doing the hotel. I got the idea for the magazine. I parked myself right down by Northwestern University because I knew I could get cheap writers. At the time, there were everybody was doing a key set publishing, which means that you needed a huge facility and then printing presses and all that. And I could do everything on my computer. So I had no overhead. I had cheap writing and former or, or soon to be Pulitzer Prize winning writers from Northwestern. And I had the richest area, which was Chicago's North Shore, where I was distributing it. So it was a lot of hard work. Like, like I was walking up to people, you know, as a younger man with a a copy of what would be the first front page or the cover page of my magazine, basically begging them not only to buy an ad for me, but give me a little space in their place so I could put the magazines because it was a free magazine. And you'll be surprised at the level of respect and also cheerleading you get from people when they know that you have a vision. So I always say that I didn't crawl my way to the top. People lifted me up. So literally hundreds of good people on the North Shore who saw somebody who was younger trying to get something done and have a good news magazine in their community afforded me the capabilities to do that. When I eventually sold the magazine, I knew all the hotels and restaurants because that's who I sold ads to. And they were literally talking to the governor on my behalf saying, you know, this 27-year-old kid's retiring. Give him something to do that involves tourism. And, and Edgar remembered me from waiting on his table. Like his wife said, yeah, I remember Patrick, you know. And the thing is, is that there's another thing I have that it's not who you know. Like people are, have this mindset is, it's, I'll never have a chance at entrepreneurship because it's who you know, not what you know. But the reality mm-hmm. is you will have a chance at entrepreneurship because it's who knows you. Because if you're out there doing good things and promoting positive activities, they'll come find you. You don't have to know them. They'll know who you are. Yeah, that's very well said, and that's a nice little spin on that, and I'll have to certainly remember that one. 
One of the things, obviously, and I like what you said there about other people lifting you up, other people helping you along the way. And I think that's true with a lot of successful individuals in business and life for that matter. What I really like about what you're doing with Biz Starts, Patrick, is you are paying it forward, so to speak. You are giving other people a hand up. You are allowing them to have the tools and resources necessary to fulfill their dreams and grow their business. So with that being said, for our listeners that are not familiar with Biz Starts, can you tell us a little bit more about the importance of your mission and how you help these organizations moving forward? Sure. I'll start with one thing is that I had a, I was having a conversation with one of the funding people at Bader and they said, Patrick, when you see the people in the neighborhoods, the people of color in the neighborhood, do you really feel like they have a shot at creating their own business? And pardon me for a second. I say, when I see those people, I see my mom. And, and that's why I have a passion for it. Because I know there's ability there. They need help. Well, and I've said this to you before there, Patrick, that is one of the things that I admire most about you is to you, this is not a job. This is not a career. It's a vocation. And you are definitely one of the most passionate individuals I know around this. You wear your emotions on your sleeve as we just saw right there. But we need more people like that, I believe. We need that kind of passion. And entrepreneurship is not easy. It's difficult. It's a challenge. And I think if you're going to get into this, you need that passion. You need that drive. You need that fire. How would you answer this? I'd love your thoughts on this. Are entrepreneurs born or are entrepreneurs made? Because I wonder about these listeners right now. Well, that sounds great, but I wasn't born with the skill set. That sounds great, but I wasn't born with the talents. Is it too late for those individuals, or can entrepreneurs be made as opposed to just being born that way? Yeah. For one, there's many professors working on it, but the noted professor, and Professor Michael Morris, who's now at University of Notre Dame, who wrote a book called Poverty in Developed Countries and Entrepreneurship is a Cure to That Poverty, went out and literally researched and wrote scholarly articles on whether or not entrepreneurship could be taught. And it's 100% it can be taught that people can learn a mindset that's more, it's called locus-centered, which means you block out absolutely everything that you don't have control of and ignore it and work exactly on the things you can control. And as you create success along the way for yourself, you prove to yourself that you are gaining an entrepreneurial mindset. And you can read many of Dr. Morris's articles on entrepreneurship and poverty and how there, that people with the least actually have the ambition and the ability to do the most because their day-to-day is survival. So they're used to a fighting mentality, and it's that grit that gets people that don't graduate high school to create multi-million dollar companies. It's that grit that someone would easily have a job from NML the second they get out of college, but they don't like the idea of working for somebody and having them control their destiny, they want to control their destiny. And once you develop that mindset, and anyone can be an entrepreneur. Well, let that be a ray of sunshine and encouragement for our listeners here that might have written themselves off. You can certainly turn this thing around with the right mindset. Now, Patrick, just to put you on the spot here a little bit more, it's one thing to say 
you need to have an entrepreneurial mindset. I guess my question is, how do you describe that? Well, the entrepreneurial mindset is the mindset in that you're in charge of your own destiny, that you find ways to take limited resources and make that limited resource a strength. And I'll give you an exa- a personal example, is that for one, nothing was given to me. Again, I was out there selling ads, but I realized I had more time than money. And the very first money-making thing that I did was a, a section on the Wisconsin Dells because I knew everyone was traveling from Chicago to the Dells. So that was part of the mindset is how do we figure out how to get customers in the door right away? And I went up to the Dells and basically let them know that where the paper was going to be distributed. And the first place I stopped was Olsen Boat Tours because they also owned a hotel there. And the family basically owned a lot of, of the things that you do up there in the Dells, meaning the Olsen Boat Tours. And I traded Paul Olsen an ad because I knew I had paper, but not a lot of money. And I said, if you, if you let me stay at your place in the Dells and I can go on a ride on your boat or whatever, I'll put a full page ad in for the boat in the hotel and it'll be good. But my thinking at that time was, I'm going to walk into everybody's place and say, Olsen already has a full page ad. Are you in or not? And <laughs> not only did that happen, but once Paul and I got to know each other because I took the ride on the boat with him and he wanted to meet this idiot that was trying to publish a magazine in Chicago and we got to talking he's like I'm going to make a few calls for you and he started calling the business around me and I so then he set up my appointment and I went and sold that ad I went and sold all those ads and I came back and my wife basically was like how'd you do on your little trip and I literally had an envelope full of checks that I emptied out and then I love you so much (laughs) (laughs) just a funny 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 story But getting back to your point on entrepreneurial minds, that is necessary. A can-do attitude is necessary. But what I did when I came from the largest organization in the world for professors that teach entrepreneurship, I rallied those professors around this cause, and I said, let's create a curriculum that's a Biz Starts Institute where we can use the things that people need to start a business, like knowing your numbers, knowing how to market, knowing your operations, and we'll train the folks during the institute, and that'll be just the start. Then after they go through the six-week program, we go to the 75 steps of direct impact on things that you can create in your business by taking these 75 steps, and it's not a program of learning anymore after that. It's a program of doing. So you've got the mindset. You've got the, your base of operations in terms of uh, going through the institute. And then you're working with consultants, mentors, and subject matter experts with BizStarts to take care of every step you need to be in business. And the thing that I love about the system is Michael has created businesses throughout the world with this system, everywhere from South Africa to Gainesville, Florida, to an impoverished section of South Bend now. He's doing it, and the system works. Well, and for those who are not intimately familiar with the work that BizStarts does, it's an organization that is supporting entrepreneurship in underserved communities, and it provides education, training, one-on-one coaching, and connections to a variety of resources, and all of this is totally free of charge. So, Patrick, talk to me a little bit, knowing BizStarts' mission, in your opinion, how does entrepreneurship 
bolster the economy? How does entrepreneurship bolster the local community? And do you have any specific success stories that you can point to? Yeah, well, a couple things in that every dollar spent in the community, you get a dollar sixty of impact. That's a given stated fact. The other thing is, is that you there's a difference between a founder's mentality and a CEO's mentality. Now, and I'll go back to my mom, but what my mom did was pay 10 times minimum wage because she really expected the people to work. And that's why in a six hour day, they could get 60 to 100 people done in that home. Now, you pay someone 10 times minimum wage, you have loyalty, which builds a beautiful thing in the community. When my mom did it, she fed everybody breakfast, she fed everybody lunch, she paid them 10 times minimum wage, those people all made good money, so then they were growing in the community and felt status in the community because they were making good money. But the difference between a founder and a CEO is that a founder cares for their people because they're helping them build their life's dream. Where a CEO, and, I, and there's some very good CEOs in the Milwaukee area, but I would say this, that the CEO of Walmart will get a $6 million incentive for cutting health care and, and put that money in his own pocket. And a founder would never do that. And all that money goes to, all that money not spent in the community when businesses are buying each other and supporting each other and keeping everybody's dreams going for a couple extra bucks. My feeling is fire Walmart and become your own boss. One of the things that you had said that really resonates with me is it's not who you know, but how many people know you. So if somebody is trying to get more people to know them, can you give them some best practices? Mm -hmm. This is purely from a sales standpoint, and I operate from the optics of development because I know you need to have cash flow to have your business going. So I'm a little different now than I was when I was in my business and that I have the time to really, really care about the community where before I literally had no parachute. I was selling to eat. So selfishly, what I did was I joined the hotel association because I knew it was a travel and entertainment magazine and that hotels would buy ads. And what I did when I got to the hotel association is I joined every committee and was always the first person to raise my hand. So the hotels would sit back and be like, man, you know, this guy has a business, but really he has a passion for hotels because look at how hard he works. And I joined the restaurant association because restaurant association or restaurants buy it. And I did the same thing. I was always the first one to raise my hand and I would roll up with my sleeves and do the work because I had more time than money. Like if, if, if I wasn't, I was sitting right next to my customer. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be doodling my thumbs, wondering how I was going to sell stuff. When by doing the work, I was actually there, belt buckle to belt buckle, you know, making things happen for the association and the restaurants that belong. And because of that, they bought ads. And I did the same with the Retail Merchants Association. And by the way, which is why it was an easy pick for me as director of tourism, because everybody knew me as somebody that really worked my butt off and helped their industry. So that's what I would do is I would go find associations that have customers as your customers, as their members, and I would prove to them that you're worthy of their money. Very well said. Some solid advice, and that is information that people would be smart to heed for sure. So let's say somebody listening to this has been thinking about starting a business. 
has been on the fence. They've got this idea, this little nagging thought that won't go away. And they listened to Patrick Snyder this morning. God darn it. I'm taking that step today. Two-part question. And again, I suppose it depends on the person. I suppose it depends on the business. Somebody wants to move forward and create their own business. How do they start and where do they start? Well, it would start with a passion. And when you say, I got this small idea, but it keeps nagging at me, it's more an idea that seems like your life's purpose, and it shakes you out of bed every morning. That's how big the idea has to be. And if it's not, don't pursue it. You know, you have to be in love with the business, and and you have to love it so much that your family begins to love it. That would be the first thing, the passion. The second thing is, is you have to get an idea of who your customer is. Now, there's a thing called the commodity scrap. And basically, what it says, and I'll use a big company example to give it to you, but somebody opens a coffee shop on a corner, someone sees them doing well, and they open a coffee shop three blocks down, and they sell coffee for a dollar cheaper. And then eventually, there's more and more coffee shops going in the community because they're a success, but they're making less and less money because they're all competitive against each other. And then Starbucks moves in. Instead of you trying to turn over a table quickly, they say, take as much time as you want. This is your office. Name their beverages, different beverages, and give you more choices. While you're sitting there competing against the next guy and selling a 50-cent cup of coffee, they're creating ways to differentiate themselves. And what ends up happening in a commodities trap, all the small guys go out of business and the person with a big idea ends up making all the money. So you got to go in as a small person and you have to think of a big idea and how to differentiate yourself from what everybody else was, was doing. And my differentiation strategy was simple. My ads were more well done because they were digital. So I didn't have a pasted photograph on a page that then got taken a picture of with the typesetting around it. I had digital images. So my magazine was more beautiful than the other magazines. The access to my magazine was easier to get because you could pick it up while you were at the coffee shore or the stop or whatever. And now you see free publications all the time. But at that time, that was the first magazine in Chicago that was free. I was there before Red Eye or, or any of the other underground papers. And mine looked better, in my opinion. And you have to have a lot of pride in what you're doing, too. So <laughs> step number three. And then step number four is once you get the big idea, then you need to know your numbers. You need to know what it costs you to acquire a company. You know, you need to know what your product costs you to develop and to distribute to the dime. And then you need to figure out your margins. And ideally, you'll have high production and high margins. But even if you have low production and high margins, you're going to end up being successful. So the passion, the customer, the big idea, then know your numbers. I think you'd agree with this. If not, please do tell me. But one of the biggest limiting factors from organizations growing and for some of these business owners and entrepreneurs to getting to where they want to go is I believe too many business owners are working in their business rather than working on their business. So for some of these entrepreneurs, business owners that want to grow, that want to become scalable, what advice would you give them for how best to do that as efficiently and effectively as possible? Well, I'm going to be very thoughtful about this answer, but it it really boils down to one thing. Is your product good enough for your customers to fall in love with you and always want to give you their money? 
And when you're working in your business, you're trying to figure out who your hit list is or your target list is, and you're cold calling them to go see them. And, and that's good when you get started. But when you start working on your business, it means you know your customers so intimately that you're having conversations with them daily. And those are meaningful conversations that are transformational to your business, meaning that you're getting to know your customers so well that they'll literally take, they'll poke at you and, and break plates and poke holes in your ideas and tell you, I would never buy that. This is what I would buy. And when you start listening to what that customer really wants to buy, that's when you're working on your business. Good advice. So on the flip side of that, then somebody wants to grow, somebody wants to make it scalable, somebody wants to start stepping back a little bit and working on as opposed to in. What are some of the most common mistakes you see with individuals that are trying to grow their business and how could those potentially be avoided? And again, this is from my optics because, you know, somebody from Wharton might give you another like a whole other well-explained answer, and they would probably be right. But just in my personal opinion is that you've got to be customer finance. You absolutely have to go in and know your customers so well that you're using their money to grow your venture. And the reason why that's so good is there's no risk. So you decide to really step back and work on your business, and then the next thing that happens is you take a loan because you want your you want to fund your expansion. Well, if you had a bad idea, then you got two problems. You've got, you need to keep your current customers and you also need to service this debt. When you're customer finance, you know your customers. So my customers told me they wanted travel section. They literally, after I did the Dells, then I had Lacrosse want me to come up and do a section on them. My customers told me where they wanted my magazine to be. So when I was thinking about expanding and growing circulation so I could raise ad prices, I went out and talked to the current customers and said, where else would you see like to see the magazine? And it was great because in distribution, not a lot of people wanted a free magazine in their place. Well, I, I walked in and talked to the owner and said, look, my customers would really want to see this magazine here. So wouldn't those customers of mine end up becoming your customers because they could find the publication there? And so I was able to expand completely based on a customer finance business and knowing your customer. Well, this has been an extremely enlightening conversation, Patrick. You did not disappoint, brother. I knew you would not. As a bit of a takeaway here for our listening audience, let's say somebody is just listening to this and saying, okay, today I'm going to improve my future. Today I'm going to be a better version of myself. Today I'm going to be a little bit more successful professionally. Generally speaking, Give me three steps, three action items that someone can take to start being more successful professionally. Well, the first one is an obvious one in that there's no way that you're learning anything if you're always the one doing talking. And I know that's difficult to believe as I'm sitting here talking about my life's work, you know, literally 40 years of work that I put in to be able to come on here and talk about it. But when I was growing my career, I was very humble. And I always thought to myself that literally none of us is smarter than all of us. Like, if I could just listen to how this person made it and grow from what they learned over the years, then I could replicate their strategies and become successful. So the first thing is you really need to go out there and listen and ask questions with the intention of how am I going to 
learn everything that this other person knows so I can incorporate it in, in my business. And the truth is, is that old people like me like to talk to people that are up and coming because they want to tell their stories. The second thing is, is that you need to pull the nuggets from those stories. Like a lot of things that happened for me when I was younger would be harder to replicate in a digital age. So you need to add to the thinking. So in terms of being a scholarly type of person, whatever thinking you're getting, you need to be thinking and not saying to this person, I know how to do it better because you don't want to do that. But you need to be thinking, boy, everybody's born with gifts and talents. I need to find a way to build past successes and make what I'm doing better. So the listening and learning, the individual thinking that you need to have to make the process better. And the last thing is, is that if you're working for somebody that doesn't appreciate your value, then fire them. There's something to be said about doing what you love for people that you love around you. It's hard to think of when you're at, even if, and I've washed dishes before as a bus boy when I was in high school because I wanted to learn the restaurant hotel trade and I thought that would be a good way to get my foot in the door. But whatever the work is, even if it's a, a, a minimum wage job, find a way that it has meaning for you. So, Patrick, Biz Starts is obviously doing a lot of good stuff. Your organization is helping grow companies. You're giving a lot of value to entrepreneurs. If somebody wants to get involved, if somebody wants to get started, how do they best do that? What you do is go to bizstarts.com. You want to go in the upper right-hand corner and choose Begin Biz Starts. That'll connect you with the coach. You want to sign up online for our Ice House training, which is the entrepreneurial mindset training that was developed by the $2 billion, $20 billion Kauffman Foundation, and it's known as one of the best mindset programs in the world. And then you want to wait for, start to build your business and get into BizStarts Institute on September 26th, where we'll be rolling out our first cohort. Excellent stuff, Patrick. And at this point of our Beyond the Gnome podcast, in case you weren't already, We're going to have a little fun here. So we'd like to wrap up in a bit of a goofy way so our listeners can get to know Patrick Snyder, the person, a little bit. This is our lightning round. So by lightning, we just mean relatively quick answers. You don't have to go into exhaustive detail on this at all. But I've handpicked four just for you that I would love to get your feedback on in this regard. So the first question is this. If Patrick Snyder were a superhero... What would your superpower be and why? Imagination, because if you can imagine it, it can be done. There you go. Imagination man coming at you here. Very good. Number two, (laughs) it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's imagination man. Number two. Now, the option, the key word in this phrase is fictional. What fictional world or place would you like to visit and why? Oh, boy. You got me. I'm so busy living in the here and now that I have no fantasy world. <laughs> I'd want to create it myself. I wouldn't want one that somebody else already created. So I'll give you a short answer. It would be Snyder World. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, which is right next to Newburgerville. So that's good. We could be neighbors there. Two more here for you. If you were to binge watch any television show, what would it be? I'm liking Outlander right now because Outlander is, is a period piece but that teaches you a lot about the power structure and how to plug yourself into that. 
Leave it to an entrepreneur to have an answer like that. Well done, sir. He never turns it off, ladies and gentlemen. Lastly, oops, that's a double one. Let's say this. Have you ever completed anything on your bucket list? And if so, give us one or two things that you completed. In terms of, I really wanted to travel and and I've been checking those off as I travel for entrepreneurship educational conferences and at the same time doing... So I got to go to Nova Scotia and I got to go to Korea and I got to go to Peru and I got to go to Uruguay and I got to go to South America. And those were all super bucket list items for me. And I'd never got on a plane until I was basically 23 years old. So it was a big deal for me to be doing that kind of travel. And another thing I did was when I was younger, a bucket list item for me was to be in a real motocross race. And I literally bought an old bike and rebuilt it. And the first AMA card I had was plate 811, which is kind of your standing in the thing. And when I was done, I was in up to 65, which is respectable. And I thought I was a motocross king. <laughs> but those were two bucket list items for me. But the bigger one is ahead of us. If we can bring this entrepreneurial dream into the communities and get people starting companies and buying from each other and supporting each other as neighbors, with their wealth and with their different products and services, we can change Milwaukee. So a lot of success stories have come out of the Biz Starts organization, and some of these are rather highly publicized. My personal favorite, I'm going to let you tell it because you tell it a lot better than me. My personal favorite is the Lamar Love story. Yes, sir. I had the absolute blessing to have Lamar Love, a convicted felon, spent 20 years in prison on a drug use charge, which means they threw an addict in a hole for 20 years, which didn't make any sense to me. Lamar, while he was in prison, learned how to bake cookies. And long story short, as the way Lamar's business model worked is he had cookie jars at about 40 shops. And then, you know, they basically didn't want to pay enough for the cookies. And I thought about, well, why don't we go after some bigger clients? And we trained Lamar up on some big client sales strategy. He did the work and rolled up his sleeves. Uh, he ended up getting an appointment with Hush Blackwell. He sat across from Paul Eberly and heard about two months ago that Hush Blackwell was going to order $30,000 worth of cookies. Yay, Lamar! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been my conversation with Patrick Snyder, Executive Director of BizStarts. I hope you learned a thing or two. I know I sure did. Patrick, thank you for joining us on the program here today. Thank you, Paul, for all the great things you do in the community. And folks out there listening, fire your boss. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.